Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. we continue the series of conversations around the year end and the beginning of the year and today my guest is my colleague mohan ram he shares how his reflection and planning cycle is not necessarily synchronized with the calendar year and his preference to not think too far ahead in the future but focus on the next 3 months and how he thought the process of reviewing and reflecting is always on the back of one's mind how to avoid the analysis paralysis but move forward towards action was a question that i asked him and he shares his own model of what he calls the golden optimal rule and how that evolved by his experience and learnings from two of his bosses then he shares something about the significance of journals and journaling and his own preference for more visually laid out elements in a journal and trying to fit everything in a note within half a page or one page max this conversation was recorded last year so the reference to the february is actually to 2023 february but rest of the things are all about any time towards the end of the year or beginning of any new year listen on hi mohan welcome back to the software people stories hi sir how are you doing yeah good this conversation is probably a little different from the ones that we otherwise have thought we'll do a yeah. little bit of a theme around this time of the year when people start reflecting on the year that was and uh, making plans or resolutions for the new year and all that mm-hmm. so essentially i would just wanted to understand uh, what is your approach I and mean, do you do such planning at all i know that in your role as a coach you help others identify some goals help them make progress reflect all that so what do you do for your own whether it is in a personal or a professional spaces i mean uh, i don't wait for a new year to sort of happen you know for some of these things because these things happen in a very dynamic fashion so for example uh i sort of took a break from very active corporate life uh, this february 2023 mm-hmm. uh it happened because of a culmination of a thought process which was happening for quite some time maybe a couple of years mm-hmm. um and of course coaching was very close to my heart and you know this was a good opportunity for me to sort of uh, diversify in that area so generally what i try to do is i sort of reflect as we sort of draw closer to the year i sort of reflect on uh, what were some of the big things that i saw through the year and what can i sort of do ahead but at a very high level but i re- sort of really don't do this as an annual sort of a planning exercise because i think 
we do enough of it in a, in a, in a typical corporate world, you know, that we call it as year end or financial year end, whichever way, right? Mm. Sort of one way to look at uh, the road ahead based on what the year has been. So, yeah, in a way, it's very ingrained in our um, process. But when it comes to person, as I mean, as an individual, this is more of an ongoing process uh, rather than waiting for a year-end kind of a event. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting because um, I've yeah, heard you know, both the uh, year-end as a major event or as a major milestone to reflect. And there are others who feel that well, we have the financial year. In fact, uh, some of us, at least I try to look at uh, at least a very brief reflection mm. uh, on my birthday. Okay. Ah, that's nice. At least <laughs> it's, it's more a personal milestone and then let's see. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's nice that you, know, you have your own you know, frequent reflections and all that. So one question is, does the frequency matter or has that made any difference for you? I mean, how far ahead do you look at or how far back do you, again, reflect on? Very good question, actually. Uh, I, I, I think the frequency, if it is very high, meaning you always have your thinking hat on, it really helps shape your uh, options and eventually decision making. Uh, so I, I sort of believe that you must always keep thinking. When I say thinking, you know, thinking in a productive way and not just from a problem solving perspective. Mm -hmm. Secondly, there is that aspect of how far you want to sort of think mm -hmm. through. Generally, I don't think too far to it because uh, there are a lot of. The one thing that I've learned uh, is that uh, you have to always provide for uh, things to go astray, uh, sort of look at things that were not never anticipated, the unknown unknowns. So I really don't, uh, I mean, if at all, if I were to put a time frame, I don't look at anything beyond three months. And even those three months are really about what are the major events that are happening within the next three months. So, for example, if you see, it would be around, um, you know, a certain renovation that I did within for my work very recent for my home very recently, which uh, which had sort of a, you know, how do I sort of get this done within the next three months, four months, kind of a situation? Yeah. What is the next big family event that is happening, and uh, how far am I going to see is it happening within the next two three months? Uh, what are some of the important uh, client engagements that are coming up at a broad level and what do we need to do kind of things. That's how I look at it, but I really don't look beyond that. The fact that the thought process is always going on uh, mm. when you are walking, when you take your you know walks or when you sort of uh, talk to people, you know, um, the background processes that keep that, that thought process, I think, helps steer your options and decisions more than very active kind of a planning exercise. The active plan of planning exercise is more tactical, more more day to day. But uh, the cognitive process is really on all the time, and uh, the time horizon is not too far. Uh, just about maybe three months at max. So, what are some typical triggers or um, 
maybe you know events or uh, causes that move these thoughts into action you know, for example you mentioned that in february this year you had taken a decision to a transition into a new uh, let's say balance of work or whatever correct but you also mentioned that you've been thinking about it maybe for the last 2 years or so correct so is it more like uh, what you call as the the last straw on the camel's back or was there something else that helped you in the transition from thinking to actually taking a step ah uh, so i like i said you know the the constant thought process that is going on you know uh, in your head i think helps you crystallize your options uh provide clarity to what you want to do and actually it's very interesting if you sort of traverse the if you if you traverse your thought process backwards hmm. you know you would actually see that you know you actually jumped so many hops you changed so many uh, options you discarded certain things on the way you brought in some new things on the way it's very interesting sort of reflect that reflect back on you know the the reverse traversal of your thought process so the, so the aspect of thinking all the time uh helps you provide that clarity the actual act of taking certain decisions like for example in my case when it came to when i sort of um got down off the treadmill if you will and then you know started walking on my own feet right that particular uh, trigger that happened in february was a culmination of thought processes and clarity that had sort of accumulated over a period of time mm. um certain triggers happened so you you sort of brought it right you know correctly i mean so there are certain triggers which are which are there in my case the triggers were around what was the general health of the business that i was running uh, there was the second level of leadership that was already in place mm-hmm. uh, you look at uh, the kind of discussions that you have with uh, your uh, seniors in the company your mentors and you know they seem to sort of concur with some of those things so you take that as leading indicators right all of those things and happen and then help you take a certain so these are the triggers that help you take a certain decision that you sort of you know from a to b hmm. so sort of to sort of bring all of this together as long as you are thinking of certain important aspects all through that helps you the that gives you the option to refine your options bring in clarity to decision making uh, as far as timing is concerned uh, it's just another event Uh, and that depends on certain triggers in my as a, as in this case that i mentioned uh, what were the triggers so that's how i look at it um i'm not a very big fan of when people say i very consciously manage my career i know exactly what i what what i would like to do you know i hear them out but uh, you know at least when i sort of correlate that with my experience uh, i find that a little different from that my own uh, preferred ways of doing it and sometimes i even wonder whether you know we as people given the side of uh, vuka world that we live in uh, whether that level of exactness and clarity is even possible sort of but that's how i would look at it yeah you kind of touched upon uh, a thought that was crossing my mind as you, you know, said uh, some triggers or something that happened but you also mentioned that you always make a provision for or you anticipate that something's not going as per plan right now with that 
kind of an approach where it's probably uh, one of accommodation, one of flexibility and responding to the current mm. situations and so on. Versus this desire for more details, the desire for more clarity, desire for certainty, etc. When mm -hmm. you're clearly looking at maybe a new idea or a new area to explore. How do you not prevent or maybe hold yourself from getting into the, the analysis paralysis trap or uh, mm. something new that comes up, uh, not getting enamored by, let's say, the flavor of the day or uh, thing. Yeah. Once you've picked up you know, something. And of course, normally for uh, such decisions, there is nothing as a right or a wrong decision. Mm. It's more about the indecision or decision. Right. You're open to reviewing that based on situations. And how do you kind of put some guardrails on not going all over the place? Correct. It's a very good point, uh, Shiv. So <clears throat> personally, I believe in one aspect. It's an abstract concept. It's called as the golden optimal. Hmm. The, the golden optimal is somewhere in between here. And then you operate in certain extremes here, which is your sort of strengths, by and large, your areas of strengths. Mm. And then the other aspect of it is areas generally you're not very good at. Mm. And the golden optimal is somewhere in between. Right? Mm. Now, I'm not trying to say that this is really about individual skills um, or, uh, you know, it's as a combination of various things. It's a combination of skills. It's a combination of situations. It's a combination of what you can control versus what you cannot control. But look at it from this very simplistic view that there are two extremities and then there is somewhere a, a sort of a middle ground, which is an abstract concept. Uh, you can even call it perfection for the lack of uh, a suitable term, but I rather not use the word perfection. I call this as a golden optimum. Okay. I always try to see that uh, if we are somewhere in bit towards the extremities and if you are consciously trying to push towards the golden optimum, it will drive a lot of uh, things which sort of bring balance to the overall situation. Mm -hmm. So, for example, by very innately, you may be a person who is very meticulous. Mm -hmm. You may like to plan till the last T's and I's are crossed. But then if you're if you're if you're sort of aware of this conceptual aspect of golden optimal, you will also realize that it is not a perfect world. You got to make some provisions, even though you're you're sort of trying to make it as perfect as you can, right? If the, if not for this golden optimal, you would have said that I've done a perfect plan and I'm I'm sort of ready to send my troops in and they will start firing in uh, from the trenches and suddenly something goes wrong. It starts raining and your bullets don't fire, right? You know those things uh, can happen, which are basically uncontrollables. Mm -hmm. You probably thought about it but you can't do much about it. You keep watching it and that creates a lot of frustration. So this golden optimal concept brings in a lot of, you know, it basically a very a conscious attempt to, to achieve balance. Mm -hmm. And also as part of the balance also provide for some scope to fail and then recover. Uh, so I try to sort of look at this uh, very consciously when I, when I plan. So for example, if I'm planning for the next family function, if I'm planning for my next coaching sessions, if I'm planning for the next presentation with the client as to what to do, 
I try and look at some of these aspects in terms of what is the balance. Um, sometimes uh, I leave certain things to instinct also because I'm aware of it. You know, my instincts will take over and, you know, prevail over the situation. And if the situation is overwhelmingly against me, uh, you know, I'm reasonably confident there will be a second chance for me to come back. Right? I mean, things are not watertight in this world, right? So basically, you know, this this concept of golden optimal drives, um, it gives me a lot of comfort uh, to operate and sort of take things best right. I've been very lucky to work with uh, two bosses. Uh, one was a perfectionist would plan so meticulously his town hall meetings, client presentations and things like that. But for some reason, if the team's uh, team meeting didn't go as, you know, uh, there were team's issues, you know, the whole thing will fall apart as far as he is concerned. And the other person was uh, very instinctive. You know, he will sort of wing it by and sort of take it in this stride. And I found that's how I actually landed this concept of golden optimal. I thought that these guys are very successful in their own respect. But mm -hmm. they also were blind spotted to certain areas. Mm -hmm. right. That's how I discovered this aspect of golden optimal. This is my own sort of creation or I coined this term. But this is something I try to consciously practice based on what I saw of these two people. And they sort of helped me uh, come up with this concept. That's very nice. So coming back to this whole concept of planning and setting goals, and in the context of many of the New Year resolutions, they are probably not followed through because either there's not yeah. or it is not one's natural way of working and it's something that one wants to do differently or change. Correct. How would you suggest or what would you suggest that individuals can do to attach a little more seriousness to it. Mm. So at least trying and not succeeding is one thing, but not trying is probably not uh, productive. And then it is this whole reflection or planning is a waste of time. I agree. I agree. Again, it's a very good point, Kashiv. So while personally I have not practiced it, right? I do feel that there is a merit in looking at sort of the year end in, in ways to reflect and then sort of see what what's the sort of road ahead. I think it's a good uh, a good point in time, I think, to sort of take stock of various things. Personally, I've not practiced it, but I think conceptually, I think it, there is some merit in, in it. The reason why I feel things fall through is that we do it in a very mechanical fashion. Uh, what I mean by that is, if we said to ourselves that I'm going to wait for the year and to start thinking about this, uh, yeah, we, you know, we may buy the sexiest of diaries and then we may actually put certain points on it, but two months down the line, it will fall through because it was a mechanical activity, mm -hmm. which is where I go back to my earlier point that the cognitive process in terms of what and how is always running, uh, even as a even if it is running as a background process, it is mm. always on. Mm. The idea is to sort of bring through that and maybe, you know, during the year, you want to basically do some reflection, talk to certain people, mm. or you want to sit in a quiet place and write down certain things. Journaling is a good thing to do when mm. it comes to these aspects. 
I, I truly believe journaling really helps bring clarity to thoughts. Mm -hmm. So that way the year-end planning is an opportunity to do this much more consciously. But then if the year-end planning is really about, okay, I'll get to that and I'll start doing it, then I think it becomes a ritual. Mm -hmm. And that is probably the reason why things do fail and things people don't carry it forward. So just to sort of summarize, the cognitive process is always on. Keep it on all the time. Um, use the year and maybe as a, as a facility or a means to do some reflection, to look forward. But don't wait for the new year to happen and start doing certain things because then it's almost guaranteed that it will not be carried through. Yeah, I think very practical tips. So staying on the theme of practicality, yeah. you referred to journaling a couple of times. Sure. Uh, any good practices related to journaling? Maybe more specifically, what uh, I'm trying to understand is, because uh, one is the medium where you want to journal. And second, while it is a good outlet to reflect and then maybe clarify your own thoughts and so on, does one benefit from retaining the journals or going back and reviewing before, say, a later session of journaling? Or is it just something that you write and you can throw it away? Okay. okay. You know, to start with, maybe... I, I would like to sort of differentiate between journaling and taking notes. Taking notes is really about recording what's going on at the, you know, with a meeting or a situation or whatever. You're just recording. And you're primarily recording because <laughs> you don't probably trust your memory mm. enough. You don't trust it enough, so you won't. Or you don't want to fall asleep in an interaction. Keep you don't want to fall asleep, you know, so you keep yourself busy and oh, yeah, let me not forget. So you sort of, so, so memory, memory and, you know, sort of keeping busy. And that's how you take notes. In my view, journaling is somewhat different from taking notes. If we are active listeners, which we are not, generally we are not, but if we make it an attempt and to be a better listener, uh, than the previous event or previous occasion, I have noticed that there is tremendous capacity in the brain to record things and more importantly, draw insights. Now, you may call them as bias, you may call them as perceptions, etc., etc. And, you know, but then they still innately they are insights uh, to your persona and you record it and you, you record it almost permanently. If you really want to jog your memory, you will you will be amazed that you know your brain is actually able to recall some of these insights, recall some of these experiences, even recall some of the smell sensations that you saw, uh, that you that you felt twenty years ago. Right? That's that's the sort of capacity. So in that kind of situation, what do you journal? You journal your thoughts, you journal your insights, and not sort of the notes kind of a thing, which is basically uh, duplicating those events in a piece of paper or in your notebook. So in my view, journaling is really about recording your thoughts and insights and perceptions as opposed to the event in itself. Mm -hmm. I feel 
reflecting on those insights is always very profitable as opposed to going through your notes. Notes were very useful for us or for me for, for the purpose of writing examinations. But journaling is somewhat different. Uh, that is how I would differentiate between the two. And therefore, the benefit of journaling is that uh, you are able to ultimately what matters for us is our perceptions, mm -hmm. our beliefs, and our insights. And if you find that validation through your journal, it brings in confidence and chances are very high that you will, it will translate into actions and behaviors and things like that. So that is the benefit of journaling. So journaling, in my view, is very different from taking notes for, for that reason. Mm -hmm. And and that therefore, that's the benefit, the insights, which can lead to actions and behaviors. And uh, just before the conversation, you were talking about your style of taking notes, which is more visual. Mm. So again, are there approaches that are preferred over other approaches in terms of what you would channel? Generally, I mean, we guys, especially from the software industry, we are used to very sequential uh, mode of thinking. So generally, we write one, two, three, four, five, or bullets, and then it's a very top-down, serialized way of taking notes because our thinking process is also very serialized. Mm. Um, because your thought process is very serialized, if you made a conscious attempt to write certain things which are non in a non-serialized manner, then you are basically exercising your brain to think in a in a much more lateral way. Sometimes it also brings in aspects of creativity. Mm -hmm. um, so generally, I try to use boxes, circles, connecting arrows uh, when I take uh, when I when I do my journaling, and uh, less of words, more of pictures. You know, especially in terms of circles, boxes, and arrows, and things like that, so that it brings in the essence and it also brings in the correlation in a much more vivid way. So when you look at your journal, you sort of get a picture. And because it is a picture, you can cover a very wide gamut of things. You can talk about uh, what was the other person's perception, uh, what was the situation that led to that perception. So you basically link certain things, right? Um, if you did not do this, you just take meeting minutes and notes. You mm -hmm. generally, I mean, out of meeting minutes, it's there for legal purposes, commercial purposes, but how much of insights do you get out of meeting minutes? Very little. Uh, so my style of uh, journaling is, yes, pictorial. Uh, and I also use arrows to bring in the correlation between insights and thoughts. Uh, which is a departure from very serialized way of thinking, which is which which sort of misses out on aspects of uh, that that happened and uh, you didn't pick it up. Yeah, very interesting. Like one of the things that I had picked up uh, long back was uh, the orientation of the page or the paper. Now, uh -huh. if you want to be creative, use landscape. Don't start writing because the portrait orientation forces right. you to kind of think serially or do that in that manner. So uh, I think these have been very, very interesting and useful in the point. So one curiosity question which I want to ask before we close is... Uh, sure. 
whatever, let's say you journal something and you said you use a lot of shapes, is there an overall shape that kind of emerges as a pattern for each of your journal entries? I mean, the specific question I wanted to ask was, mm. assuming that you are journaling this conversation that we right. had. Right. Uh, there may be a lot of these boxes, arrows, bubbles, circles, and something, etc. Sure. Sure. But then, without going into the details, if I just looked at the page, is there something that might stand out or first say that you know, this has been, like for instance, sometimes when we doodle, uh, at least when I do, sometimes I find that it is a very uh, kind of either repeating pattern or some shape or something that I have in mind. And eventually it kind of gets filled out, even if it is kind of thing. Sometimes it is totally random. Okay. Uh, so it is more you know, triggered based on you know, that curiosity. Okay. Uh if i if i pick up my if i if i sort of see a pattern generally irrespective of the length of the conversation or discussion whatever right i find that uh, i don't fill more than a page i mean a, a full page at max but in general it is basically a half a page and i'm actually looking at sort of your your question actually triggered a thought in my mind to see whether the shape or sort of the layout of the journaling that mm -hmm. I do pictorially, does it convey something? And I probably feel it conveys some things, you know, mm -hmm. which, is, which is sort of related to my personality, which is, uh, I believe in, uh, if things are concise, uh, not very elaborate and concise and neat, I always have an appreciation for such things, as opposed to something which is elaborate and artistically brilliant, I may not appreciate that very much, but as long as it is concise and easy to sort of pick, I, I have a liking or a bias for those right. things. So unconsciously, probably I try to fit fit mm. things within a certain real estate, which is half a page or one page max. I think your question was a very good question, Shiguru, because uh, it basically, like I mentioned, it, it it, it talks about some of the innate qualities, whether they are good, bad, that's a different story. But I think even a simple thing in terms of how you uh, portray certain pictures in your journal tells a story. That was a very good question, I would say. So you must be one hell of a, of a coach, I think. I would say I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to understand the patterns of how each one of us thinks and then what kind of influences in thinking and what do we do with those thoughts? Broadly, that's what I've been trying to understand for so many years. Yeah, it's always very interesting to have these interactions, you know, which are not always you know, problem solving or a specific uh, a debate where we want to prove a point or establish a point. Sure. Exploring and uh, yeah, trying to discover together. <laughs> I think I got a good... Uh, uh, you know, insights into how you go about planning. And then I also have some pointers that I would also be you know, trying out on you know, looking at you know, how that can keep me engaged in uh, this activity. Thanks, Mohan, uh, you know, for these wonderful insights and your perspective on the 
relative benefits of planning and reflecting and all that and how you have been doing it. Uh, I've picked up a few points and probably my process will also kind of change. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Shivguru. And uh, it was a pleasure talking to you and bound some ideas in a, in a free, uninhibited manner. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people's stories. If you like this episode, Please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.